Welcome to the Programming Leadership Podcast, where we help great coders become skilled leaders and build happy, high-performing software teams. All right, welcome to the episode. I'm Marcus, and this is the Programming Leadership Podcast. I'm very excited to have my friend Han Yuen with me today. Welcome, Han. Thank you, Marcus. Han and I met on a Git Prime webinar, and Han at the time was the VP of Engineering at Upwork. Is that right? Technically, the SVP of Engineering. Thank you. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have some, you know, title magic, uh, but I was the head of engineering at Upwork, or reported to the CEO. Yes. No, let's, I think it's important that we just embrace the title, Senior Vice President of Engineering at Upwork. And today's show is going to be, you know, a little, a little interesting, I think. I'm excited about it. If you know from being a listener of the show, I happen to personally be in transition between being an entrepreneur and taking a job. And I was chatting with Han and he finds himself in transition as well. So we thought we'd talk about job transitions today. So Han, give the audience a sense about what you're transitioning from and to. So I'm transitioning from uh, what many people, including myself, would consider a, a really amazing job. Uh, we Upwork is the world's largest platform for freelancing. It's Marketplace. It enables people to be able to uh, both uh, sell their services and their capabilities, as well as uh, clients who need something done in, in this platform. And uh, there's there's quite a bit of money transacted between clients and freelancers and professionals, um, close to two billion dollars. And so that that's an incredibly gratifying job in that sense because you're you're really help your your work is help helping other people make a living. And so that that that's been pretty neat. I've been in that role for four and a half years with a, re- a really, really good team. I've worked with many people who who I met both at the company, but also who chose to join me at Upwork. In some cases, um, some individuals have been with me through three different companies. Many of them have been with me through two different companies. So it's it's been a very difficult uh, transition in that sense because it's a, it's a really good job. And in some some ways, I think people would wonder like why why? <laughs> so, it sounds like the, the question my father would ask me, why would you leave a good job? <laughs> my father did ask me that question. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I'm, what I'm leaving that job for is essentially what I would hope is a, an entrepreneurship venture, but it's a, this is kind of a different uh, way of thinking about entrepreneurship in some ways. Um, I've oftentimes been very fascinated by the uh, act of entrepreneurship itself. To me, it seems like one of the absolute toughest things to be able to do, to take something from nothing and then generate value for other people, society, the world. And I think that's that's very, very difficult to do. And it's also very difficult to sustain over a long period of time. And so I've always been very fascinated by that process. I think as a uh, engineer, it also seems highly irrational because the probability of failure is so high. And so why would anybody in their right mind like yourself ever do that? <laughs> and But yet people do, and lots of things are made in the world from hard goods to software. And so I, I really want to take some time and explore that because I think it's uh, an enormous challenge, and I, I'm hoping that I'll personally grow from that. I'm curious. So 
I, I love this framing of you had a good job and no one asked you to leave. Let's be clear. But but how did you know that or why? I don't like the phrase, how did you know now that I've said it, but I'll just reframe it as why do you feel this was the right time for you to leave? I think that's a really good question. I think as maybe as humans or and this is I think, so I, I don't have any scientific evidence to support this, but um, I've noticed certainly in myself where once I get into certain habits, it's very easy to continue uh, doing the same thing over and over again. But at some point, you get diminishing margins of returns from doing the same thing. And uh, what I started to do dating many, many years back is as I start a job, I asked myself, what are, what are a few things that I really want to accomplish such that when I leave, I can put these three things on my resume or on my LinkedIn profile that you know, maybe people like me, maybe people that didn't, maybe people liked working with me, but these are things that I could say, you know, I accomplished this and it's objective, it's factual, and it would seem something like meaningful, different in the context of my own resume. And so when I joined Upwork, I came up with three objectives. And at some point uh, early last year, I started to realize, you know what? A lot of these things, a lot of these goals that I set for myself four and a half years ago, they have more or less been achieved. And uh, my framework involves, okay, well, can I come up with three more things? And as I, as I started about, as I started thinking about what are the three things that I, that I could do in my current role um, to sort of extend the run versus what are all the other things that I could do in, you know, in the universe of possibilities, I started to, you know, make some trade-offs and, that gave me a framework to rationally assess, should I stay or should I go? And ultimately, I, I, choose to, I chose to move on. I love that idea that when you came in, you said three things I want to be able to put on my LinkedIn or on my resume. And then in, when, when I get there, that's one sign that it's time to, it's time to reevaluate. I'm curious, whenever, when you've hired people, have you ever met anybody who, like on their first day, they sat down and told you their three things? Because this sounds like a rare idea in the world of work. It is. You know, as a, as a professional manager, I, I obviously do quite a bit of uh, professional development and we have development conversations. And I, I do find that when I speak to individuals about, well, yeah, you want to, what does it take to get promoted, blah, blah, blah. When I reframe the question as, what are the three things that you, you want to accomplish here such that when you leave, which most people will inevitably leave, like these are things that you're really, really proud of. And uh, what I find is that most people never really think about it. And it's, it's fascinating. And so we almost never finish that first conversation. Instead, uh, folks will go back, will spend another couple of weeks doing their day job and they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, hey, this is what I think I want to do. And I, I find that to be incredibly powerful because that helps me cater my professional advice to the people I'm working with to the extent they work with me. It also gives me a framework for setting up their annual goals in a, in a sort of traditional performance review uh, type system so that there's a little bit more synergy. And I think for the individual, it also gives them a, a solid anchor in which to frame their day-to-day work. And I, I find that people are generally much more motivated by that versus sort of these like finite goals of, I need to move this metric from X to Y. 
I need to like get promoted from like, you know, senior or whatever to super senior or whatever. And I, I, I think it just makes the conversation a, a lot more productive uh, over, you know, the weeks, months and years. Do you think it's too late if somebody's listening and, the, and maybe they've managed a team for a few years or um, they've just kind of grown up in the organization and, and they, they would like to engage in that kind of conversation? Do you think that it has to be done when somebody joins or is this one of these kind of things that it's never too late to ask people, you know, what do you want to leave here to be prepared for your next role? As it turns out, for me, um, at least in the last couple of roles, I've often been involved in organizations that already exist. So by, I think by definition, you, you have to have these conversations sort of in flight. But I don't think that it is ever too late. There have been cases where I've had unintended consequences where people go like, oh, I have nothing else to do here. <laughs> I need to reevaluate my life. And that's okay, too. I, I think... Um, as a, as a mentor, as a manager, if you, it's obviously inconvenient <laughs> when somebody decides, you know, it's time to move on, but it also opens the door to be able to talk through a, an order transition. Usually that conversation will then go, well, okay, it's time to move on. I'll help you look for work. Okay. Right. But let's, <laughs> let's make sure that, you know, I don't, I don't get caught holding the bag when you disappear and uh, all of the people that reported to you uh, now report to me. And so I, I find that to be a much more orderly way of going about business. And ultimately, it's a, it's a win-win for the company you work for, as well as the person, you know, hopefully transitioning on to something that is more in line with what they want to achieve in life. I think you hit on the fear I was going to ask about next. And and you basically said, yeah, it happens. And I have a feeling, and more than a feeling, I've, I've seen it in myself and in other managers, that if we talk about the fact that people might leave someday, they might leave. Like we have this idea that it might actually cause it. And generally, I've thought, oh, that probably won't happen. Of course, you just laid out a, a scenario by which if somebody has that moment of self-reflection where they say, well, maybe there isn't anything more here for me to for me to do. Then they start asking themselves, "What do I? What do I really want next?" And and maybe that does not involve that that company. But I do think that a lot of managers don't want to talk about anything at the end of the sort of employee life cycle for fear that talking about it will cause it somehow. It very well could. <laughs> it very, it well, very could. well could. But and I love the way you said. But darn it think about how much better it'll be than just getting dumped on one day and being surprised. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think these kind of like win-lose relationships where the company is winning and the employee is ultimately losing, it's not long-term sustainable because you're, you're kind of just borrowing time. And so having the plain facts available for all parties is, is, is pretty useful. And I, I think also when people are mentoring well, when there's a mentor-mentee relationship, there's sort of implied trust. And that you can't live up to that covenant unless you're willing to be able to step into those topics that are very, very focused on the person that you're mentoring, right? And some of those outcomes may, you know, inconveniently involve actually transitioning on to another company. Yeah, I like the way you say that person. You're, you're mentoring a person. You're not mentoring a role. 
You really are mentoring another human being and they are trusting you. And even though it might be senior manager to team lead is the roles in place, I think that whenever whenever trust gets built, it's between people, not between these these ideas of job function or role. Absolutely. And I the the other observation that I've made, um, having spent 20 plus years working in a traditional JOB, is that your relationships with people tend to be enduring. If they're meaningful, they could go on for years and maybe even decades in certain cases, like in my case. But the roles themselves, those are those are just essentially borrowed, right? There's somebody who borrows a role for a while, they get promoted, and then somebody else gets that role. And so I think having that clarity when you're in that kind of mentor-mentee relationship is, is really key. You mentioned earlier, one of the things that personally, and I didn't tell you this as we were talking, but one of the biggest joys I had is when I was able to bring people from the company that I had a job at to work for me when I was an entrepreneur. And they were excited about it. It wasn't like pulling teeth. It wasn't about more money. They were like, I absolutely want to follow you on this adventure. And they put a lot on the line. Um, and then when the adventure didn't work out, you know, I did help them get another job. But I, I remember with such fondness these people that we had bi-directional loyalty between. And I think you mentioned as we were talking, there's been some folks like that in your career as well. Yeah, and I, I think those types of relationships are incredibly meaningful. It, it, it makes going to work uh, a joy every day because you, you have that trust. So if two people are talking to each other and you know I've known you for 10 years and you give me feedback, I, I don't have to read too much into that because I know, hey, you have my my best interests in mind. And I think it's less about working for somebody, at least the way I, I tend to work. But for me, it's really the opportunity to work with somebody um, and work with people that you really like. And I, I find that to be a privilege to a large degree. And I, I think I've been very fortunate that there, there are those people in the past who've wanted to work with me. And I've obviously want to work with them and all these other people that, you know, I've never had a chance to work with again. But those, those are definitely gifts. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, and I certainly w- will be watching from the sidelines as you start this new adventure. But the folks that raise their hand that uh, are your long-term brothers in arms, if they would be, that may come over and join you in the future. It'd be very interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't... Um, say, wish it on, say, folks that uh, followed me to Upwork and then potentially create some chaos by uh, resigning or anything like that. But the the reality is, is those transitions do happen from time to time to the extent that I have an opportunity to work with, um, you know, anybody that I've worked with in the past. I've, I've always really greatly enjoyed that. Well, let me turn the the topic around to something that I've struggled with in transition, and that is a sense of uncertainty uncertainty about why did I do this? Where, what does it mean that I've done this? What does the, what does it mean for my past? As I sort of quote unquote, stopped running a business that felt a lot like failures. I'm looking at taking a job here in less than a week as we record this. What does it mean? Am I going to get a J-O-B? I like the way you said that, that has a certain smell in the entrepreneurial community. I guess I'm curious, how are you handling this uncertainty and what uncertainty are you feeling? I think in, in my case, which will probably be different than yours, so I'd be curious what you say, is I don't know what will happen next. And 
jobs are amazing because you have a you have a task or you have a role uh, that you need to fill. The, the parameters of the role are fairly well understood. And along as long as you go through the motions, you get money. And that's pretty awesome. And if you get a different role, um, which might be in more demand, then you get more money. And so it's sort of a supply-demand thing. And the, the mechanics that, that are, at least for me, having lived a more traditional life as opposed to you, uh, are very well understood, but now I'm, I'm going to a place where it's unclear whether or not the activities that I do will generate income. It's unclear in absentia of a fancy title of senior vice president or what have you, whether or not people treat you the same way, so on and so forth. And so all of those are sort of insecurities about how you kind of fit in the, uh, the fabric of society kind of hit you. But I also tell myself that I think our professional lives are are certainly finite and not to be existential, but I think our actual lives are also finite. Best I can um, tell. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, on, on the professional front as a technologist, you know, in, in my case, you, I probably have another 10, 15 years left. And so if, if you're, I, I had to ultimately ask myself, if I'm going to do this entrepreneurial thing, I probably need to, give it a shot at some point. And probably there's no time like the present. And if it doesn't work out, maybe I need to go get a job again for a little bit. Maybe I go back, but I have to try. And I think, I think the act of trying, knowing that the reward is learning something new, I think that's what motivates me. And that, that's what's giving me the momentum to be able to step into this void of uncertainty. Mm. I love that. So I think I echoed every single thing that you said. You said, I don't know what'll happen next. I absolutely feel that way. I don't know what'll happen next. Even though I'm joining a company with a job where there are parameters in place. See, I took notes. And where going through the motions produces money. uh, What if I can't go through those motions? What if I don't fit those parameters? What if I'm not the shape that they need or that as, I mean, these are just all the things that are running through my head, right? Will people treat me the same way? Yeah, I'm, I haven't worked in a while. Uh, I'm concerned like, oh, Marcus, do you know anything about Kubernetes? No, I'm doing a Udemy course. <laughs> Will people treat me the same way? And before, when you're an entrepreneur, you sort of have to prop up your own authority through writing or speaking or other kinds of work. But now I feel like I'm starting at absolute zero. And then, of course, the insecurity of how do I fit in here? Totally unknown. Will I fit? Do I fit? Was this me giving up? But I love your, I have to try. Because at the end of the day, I remember that when I left my last company, like it was just time. I said I was 39 years old and I have to try. It was the time. But the last thing I do keep reminding myself, Han, that you just said is, can I go back? Yeah. Yeah. There's no sort of closed locked doors. I can go back to being an entrepreneur. I could be an entrepreneur on the side. And I think all of those kind of give me a little less anxiety as I stand in uncertainty. Hmm. That's good advice. It's, a, it's, a, it's nice hearing that from somebody who's done it before. Do you have, do you have other advice that you could give me? Oh, uh, I'm, you know what? I'll Am I tra- running your podcast? I'll, I'll <laughs> trade you some. I could use some advice, uh, how to parachute into a team and all that. Let's see. Uh, I think 
you know, I'll be honest. I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made in the past two years with my business is not not really connecting my activities to the outcomes I wanted. So for example, even when I started this podcast, I started this podcast because I thought it would be literally, quote, good for marketing. Turns out that that's not at all a marketing vehicle for me and for my business. But it is a wonderful place to meet people like you, to spread ideas, to actually learn in real time, and to connect with folks who who I want to connect with, the listeners. So I, I thought I was doing it for marketing, and and I was wrong, which I'm really glad I was wrong in the end. But I can look back and see a whole bunch of initiatives where I sort of looked at how other people were working. And I said, in times of stress, oh, that must be the golden ticket. Oh, I need a podcast. Oh, I need to speak at conf. Right? You do all these things. And I just started to emulate rather than really thinking, does this fit my goal? Does it fit my business? And is this something even I want to do? So I guess like thinking about what it is that you're doing and what, and I'm sure you won't have any problem with this, but not, not thrashing from thing to thing, but being intentional about measuring the outcome of those things and saying, is this moving me in the direction I want? That's really good advice. Do you, do you typically set up goals and milestones for yourself on a... Yeah, I typically do. And those look various ways. So at the beginning, they were like revenue goals, like I need to make this much money. But then I really started to look at like the revenue mix because I was bringing in money from consulting or coaching or workshops or speaking or writing. And after about every six months, I would sort of examine the the, the balance sheet of like, where's all the money coming from and how do I want to change this? But at the end of the day, I I think that I didn't do... I didn't do enough goal setting and stick to one set of small goals. Hmm. And, and, and so if you change your goals or they are like, let's do a podcast, that's actually not a goal. The goal would be, in theory, let's earn money from sponsorship if that becomes a business decision. Uh, I actually sort of just stumbled backwards into sponsorship when somebody waved a dollar bill and said, can we sponsor your podcast? And then I made, uh, I don't know, five figures the first year from it. And I was like, wow, this is kind of a business. But it wasn't intentional. And in some ways, it may have been a distraction. Interesting. So I have no doubt that you will find lots of ways to make money. Like for me, sitting on this end of it, there's almost never the problem. To be honest, I, I've told people this. It was advice given to me. The, the thing you fear right now is that no one will hire you. The reality is that too many people will want to hire you and that you will spread yourself too thin and not be able to deliver on all the good promises you make. Uh, but like, because as this fear of we say yes to everything when it's very early stage, right? So I'm sure you won't have this problem, but I, I had to sort of get over that of where I didn't say yes to everything. I started saying yes to the things that I could do better than anyone else. That is really fascinating. Thank you for that. Okay, so now I'm going to turn the table. So here I am. I'm going to parachute. They literally use this military term of like, we're going to parachute you into this team. Uh, There's been a lot of turnover. People who have been managers are moving to ICs. So we're going to need you to, you know, we're sure it's going to be great, but you're going to have eight people that report to you on day one. Uh, So Han, what advice do you have for me? What I found is if you... uh 
I've always found that it's just me much, much easier to be authentic. <laughs> so maybe that's a, that's a, like a too, too much of a trite piece of advice, but I think uh, to the extent that you feel insecurities and, and doubts, it's actually very useful for your teams to know that because you're also this sort of alien entity in their ecosystem. And so especially if in a manager reportee relationship, they're, they're trying to figure you out, right? Because you have a lot of impact on their careers. You, you, you're going to impact, you know, their salary adjustments or their promotion velocity in, in most cases. They're also going to seek you for mentorship. And so because they didn't choose you as a manager, there's also uh, a lot of insecurity there as well. And so uh, being, being very honest and authentic and in certain cases opening yourself up to vulnerability is, is I, I think, a, a more optimal approach. The, the slightly, I, I would say, suboptimal approach is, you know, fake it till you make it, so to speak, because the problem is people are just too smart. They could tell that you're faking it. They really can. Every time. They, they, they think you're an imposter. And then and, and all of those other things just sort of erode trust. And so being, being as authentic as you possibly can, um, which might not be all that comfortable, I would argue is actually more comfortable in the long run than trying to pretend something to be trying to pretend to be something until you get there. Because, you know, gosh knows like how long that'll take for you to actually get there. You just don't know. And it's, it's very uncomfortable when you go to work like that. Oh, it's so stressful for me even to think about this, but like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And when I think about the energy, I mean, if I were to put my energy into Oh, that's such great advice into like, what do they call that? Impression management. How, you know, I need to manage how other people see me. Do they see me as smart and competent and a leader or whatever, um, rather than just being me? That saves my energy for a whole set of other things I really need to focus on. Yeah, impression management takes a ton of energy. And in the long run, it, it may compromise your what you were asked to ultimately do. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I... That would be my my advice. And then I think related to that would be then, you know, like yourself or say somebody like myself who's been at a few places, you come with all this institutional knowledge from every other place that you've worked at. And it's so tempting to sort of say, you know what, I, I want to add instant value. I've seen this before. Let me tell you how to do it. And my my advice is try to restrain yourself as much as you can because a lot of times the the nuances of each situation is just slightly different and so spending a little bit of extra energy getting uh, deep into the problem statement of what what you're trying to ultimately solve or your suggestion is going to solve is really important and I, i think that's rooted in you know really spending a lot of time listening to people oh that is such important advice for me to hear right now because I'll be honest, I definitely have had the fantasy where like in the first couple of weeks, I say something that sounds brilliant and people are like, oh, I'm so glad he was here. But that is pure fantasy, right? That is just my wanting to be accepted and be respected. And I got to let that go if I'm going to be real. Yeah, but it'll come. It'll come. That's the thing I have to trust, right? Yeah, it'll come. I mean, you've you've earned a lot of stripes on your belt, and I, I think at some point um, people will see it. 
I don't know if you're going to go into the advice giving business. I don't think that's quite your next business, but if you ever decide to, you're quite good at this and you should have your own podcast or uh, uh, help, help other people because thinking through these things, just as we've done today with one another, it's not easy to do alone, I've noticed. It, it isn't. And I, I think the, the greater challenge is in the industry, sometimes you get these um, career coaches, so to speak. But because the, the nature of the work is evolving over time and the career coaches are no longer essentially playing the game, so to speak, the techniques on you know how you hold the ball, shoot the ball, things like that are all evolving. And so I, I do find these peer-to-peer conversations like, like today and, and some of the advice you've given me very, very valuable because it's, it's contextually relevant. Um, it's relevant for, for the time that we're in, very late of 2019, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let me ask this. So on this topic of, of peers, support, of not going it alone, what, what ideas have you considered for how, with the support mechanisms you might put in place for yourself over the next year as you go on this new adventure? One of the things that I've, I've done in the past is to make sure that my day is very structured because I have had a, uh, a traditional job in the past where you show up, you, you have a certain number of meetings, it's, it's very structured. And so for better or worse, I, I need that kind of structure. But with that structure in place, I also spend quite a bit of energy uh, reaching out to friends, contacts. You know, Hopefully I'm not wasting their time, but talking about different things that they're doing, running ideas that I have off of them, uh, so on and so forth. And so I, I try to make sure that I have those kinds of uh, people connections uh, on a pretty regular basis. I think that's that's amazing uh, to be able to, like, I know that the concept of a first team at work where you've got your peers, um, while I don't think it's in, very popular in a lot of places, strong peer groups are an important support mechanism. And uh, yeah, I would encourage you to find other entrepreneurs. I know for me, that made a big difference because at least in my case, it was a bit like a roller coaster and having someone to share the highs with is just important as having someone to share the lows with. Yeah, I, I need to. That's probably the first order of business, I think. It might be. Yeah. And you know, in that same way, I'm thinking now about how I can, because one of the patterns I want for myself is I want to continue speaking with peers openly. Sometimes that may be inside the company, but I think there's a certain safety in speaking with people who aren't in the same company and can give you unfiltered feedback. And so, that may be something I need to build for myself as well. Yeah, definitely. I do find that um, in, in cases where I've uh, maintained uh, mentor relationships with my colleagues, being outside the company always seems to translate into slightly more meaningful feedback for the receiving party, even though from my point of view, I was like, I work there. I know exactly you know what this person is going to say or this is how I deal. I... I think I'm giving the same advice, but I, I feel like folks on the receiving side feel like, okay, there's some layer of filter removed from that because now I am sort of out of the context, but still able to engage in the conversation, hopefully in a meaningful way. That, that reminds me of, uh, yeah, I think that that power dynamic, whether it's formal authority or a mentor-mentee relationship inside a company, we do always assume it brings some level of moderation to what we say, uh, to what we give and receive. And so that's interesting. Even though you would have said the same exact thing when you worked there, now that you don't work there, 
it seems to carry a little bit more weight. Yeah, I maybe I could qualify that in some sense. Um, I, I do think that managers have a very difficult time in general operating with 100% honesty. There are certain things that you just can't talk about sometimes because they're there are legal implications. If you're in a publicly traded company, you can't talk about certain things. And so there's this idea of trying to be as transparent as possible, but transparency does not necessarily imply honesty because there's a spectrum of transparency or opaqueness. But not being an insider, to some degree, I think allows you to be completely honest because you don't have the um, the burdens of the the role itself that is going to impose some level of uh, opaqueness uh, to the conversation. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things, even as a new manager. I certainly struggled with it, and I see other people. And that's sort of the care and handling of secrets, things where you can't talk about them for legal reasons, for HR reasons, again, for business reasons. And yet you talk to your team and you say, I want to be honest. I want you to be honest with me. So of course I'll try and return the favor. But I think I think that is a really big challenge. And I think people have to kind of find their way through that situationally based on some of these values of like what, and maybe it's even being honest about what we can and can't talk about. Yeah. That might be something, even that feels a little weird, but saying like, uh, I can't talk to you about this because it's an HR issue for someone else. And you know, wouldn't be, it doesn't respect the fact of how that person left the company. I know I've had hard questions. Why, why did Jim get walked out? Like what went wrong? What did he, how did he screw up? And in that way, it was actually pretty easy for me to say, like, I wouldn't think anyone would want to be talked about after they left. So I'm not going to share that with you. Yeah. I think sometimes describing the, to the extent you can't be fully honest, explaining, you know, why, Wow. Um, is also a very reasonable uh, explanation for most folks. Yeah, I would I would imagine that generally, if we don't explain why, the default answer in people's heads is because I want to maintain control. Like I'm not mm-hmm. being on, I'm not telling you everything because somehow it, because information is power, and I don't want to give away my my power. And so when you can tell them that it's about respect or confidentiality or something about going public. I mean, there's a lot of things we can't say. Uh, But I do think people sort of assume when there's power that you're trying to keep it. Yeah. But if you're able to develop the trust um, and if people genuinely think you're an honest person, then, you know, hopefully the, the point of view evolves to, you know, Marcus really wants to tell me, but he can't. And this is why. Right. And I think that sometimes we can also go back and tell people things after the fact when it's no longer, because I think secrets or confidentiality, usually that has a a time span. We don't have to keep that confidential forever. And so I know I've gone to my team and said, I couldn't tell you before, but I can tell you now. Yeah. The expiration date, to the extent that you have visibility into the expiration date is useful because you can also set the expectation that we we can't discuss this now, but we might be able to discuss this at a later date, or maybe you exactly know the expiration date, then we'll, we'll talk about this <laughs> some right. future time. I think I've even asked my boss that. Like when he's told me something and then I've said, well, when can I bring this to the team? And usually that's not a consideration that's been thought of. It's sort of thought of as like, well, you'll never bring it to the team. But framing it as when 
because secrets always get out and people always find out almost everything. Yeah, I, I think that's given my boss and I in the past some really rich conversations about about just the timing and necessity of secrecy versus just the perception that we don't we only say what we have to. Yeah. And I, I think the the point about secrets getting out, I, I think also punctuates my my earlier uh, discussion with you, which is like people are too smart. I, I think they'll smart. try to fool them. Like they <laughs> they will figure it out. They're really, really smart. It's too it's just too much energy to fool people. It really is. <laughs> and this is universal. This isn't even like just engineers or so, you know, people with bachelor's degrees. You know, you, I've got I've got a two and a half year old granddaughter living with me right now with uh, her my son, her dad, and his wife. And she is so smart. I can't fool her ever. She knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, you will not be able to. It is. Many people have tried. Perhaps we've all tried, and honestly, we will all fail trying to fool people. <laughs> it's not going to work. I'm gonna I'm gonna write this down as a reminder. You know, not that I think I try and fool people a lot, but but I think at any given day, if I can be more honest, maybe that's a pattern for 2020. I want to see is more transparent, which does it requires some amount of courage because of vulnerability and all that stuff. I don't know. Is there, as we end up today, Han, is there a pattern in your work that you'd like to see in 2020? I think for me, I I think transparency has been something that I've been personally working on for a couple of years. But I think um, for my new adventure, I think um, some of it is going to be a combination of, of transparency in terms of the ups and downs of what I'm trying to do. So I'll, I'll be working on that. But I, I think I'm also going to be working on vulnerability too. You know, really talking about how, what are the fears? Uh, what am I trying to do? And just being very upfront and honest about that. Because it's it's very easy to sort of say, hey, it's everything's awesome. And this whole entrepreneurship thing. And I, I think the industry kind of glamorizes it a little bit. And that that's something that I, I definitely don't want to do on purpose. But I, I think that will be both meaningful for myself and, you know, to the extent that, have conversations with other folks, uh, hopefully meaningful uh, for them as well. Because I, I don't necessarily, I don't have illusions of grandeur that entrepreneurship is necessarily the grass is greener on that side. And uh, I'm hoping to have a balanced view of both worlds. Mm, I like that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for that transparency. <laughs> You're welcome. Han, where can people find you uh, online and engage with your work, with this new adventure you're putting together? I'll, I'll occasionally be publishing articles on LinkedIn. So I'll, I'll be using that as my medium. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Han Shen Yuan, H-A-N dash S-H-E-N, Y-U-A-N, or Han Yuan. Usually I get pulled up. Great. We'll include some show notes to your LinkedIn profile and hopefully some pieces of writing you've done. I know you were tickling my brain earlier with some topics you intended to write about, and I just can't wait to see those. I, I really need to read them. So consider me just a rabid, enthusiastic audience for your writing. If you love recommendations, I, I could give you a couple of articles I've already written, um, and I would love to get your feedback on if they were any good. <laughs> I'd love that. Yeah. And I'll include them in the show notes as well so other folks can read them as well. Thank you, Marcus. Um, thank you for being on the show today and uh, good luck in your next adventure. <laughs> Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Programming Leadership. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.programmingleadership.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.